This is the Greyhorn Pagans Podcast. Here we talk everything paganism, heathenism, witchcraft, mystery, and mythology. Sit back, relax, open your minds, and then let's take you back to the days of our ancestors. Welcome everyone to the Greyhorn Pagans Podcast. Once more, uh, once again, on the Greyhorn Pagans podcast, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and all the other uh, 71 genders that are out there now, apparently. Uh, welcome. Yeah, I, I see you looking shocked. There are 73 now, last I counted. Or last they I went up two since you said 71 a minute ago? We found two whole new genders. At, <laughs> and, in those, in that, man, that's impressive. At the rate we're uh, we're going now, that would definitely not surprise me. Oh, at seventy-eight, uh, seventy-eight. We are seventy-eight, ladies and gentlemen. The leaderboard is right. <laughs> well, I should I should have like a, a counter in the yeah. in the corner. Um, <laughs> introdu- <laughs> off to a great start. Uh, introducing my esteemed guest mr dylan brody dylan uh thank you for joining thank you for uh being up so early you just told thank me you, you uh... thank you for having me this is a whole different nine o'clock from the one i'm using <laughs> i bet i bet yeah. uh so um yeah introduce yourself to the the people who uh, have been living under a rock for the last couple of years and don't know you yet um i i'm dylan brody i'm a humorist i'm a storyteller i'm a filmmaker i'm an art uh and i'm also a practicing druid uh, studying to, you know, be certified as a bard, uh, and then move up to Ovate and Druidry eventually. But uh, even as I study, I consider myself a practicing Druid, um, which is, you know, how I stumbled into you. And I uh, I have a new book coming out uh, in about 18 months. I, I'm just finalizing the contracts now about Merlin that is designed yeah. to uh, to use story and uh, the, 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 the modern fantasy novel format uh, to bring I- basic ideas of druidry back into the zeitgeist. Yeah, because... Uh, speaking of art, the the art of druidry and uh, being a a bard, a storyteller, um, it's something that has been uh, I don't want to say suppressed, but forgotten for a long time. Uh, although it has been uh, coming back around a little, there are people who are trying to reintroduce the art of storytelling which is quite quite an art uh like i said before we went live i watched your um one of your comedy specials and you have to keep the people engaged for at least an hour and if you're just if you're not interesting if you don't know how to bring it people tune out after five minutes i was but long before i was a storyteller i was a stand-up comic uh and as a comic you learn to deliver a punchline every 15 seconds. It is assumed in uh, television comedy and modern comedy that there will be at least a four to one laugh per minute ratio. Uh, it's it's the LPM. It's uh, it's now moved up to five if you're doing television. And 
that has become sort of a standard for comics. It's why I don't call myself a comic anymore. I call myself a humorist and storyteller. But ultimately, as a storyteller, we're doing the same thing. It's just we're using sort of more nuanced uh, devices to keep the audience engaged. Uh, I partly, you know, I'm a charming fella. I can, I'm relaxed on stage. I hold the room. And it's, I'm also uh, uh, on the autistic spectrum. So yeah. while I have difficulty one-on-one having a conversation and uh, and making the other person feel as though I'm fully engaged, with a room full of people where I don't have to make eye contact with an individual, where I get to just be in my own head, following my own train of thought, I uh, take on an, elo- an eloquence and a... Uh, a comfort in my own body and and self that I don't have one-on-one in person. On Zoom, this is a weird thing about autism, not about druidry. I I I'm, I run writing workshops on uh, on Zoom and I do coaching on Zoom. Yeah. And it it works very well because I am not looking at you while I'm speaking. It feels as though I am because I'm looking directly into a camera. And this oh. allows me to hear you the way that I comfortably hear you as an autist, you know, as a slightly autistic mm-hmm. person, um, while you feel as though I'm making perfectly good icons. I realized when I when I got my diagnosis recently that in Hollywood I've been sabotaging my own career in every meeting for thirty years because I look over people's shoulders while they're talking so that I can hear them. And in Hollywood, that just means I'm looking for someone more interesting to talk. Oh, right. I'm yeah. Looking to see who's coming down the street. Who who else? I and it was alienating people. I think for, with you know unconsciously for mm-hmm. years without me being aware. Now putting all this into context of performance and storytelling with storytelling as opposed to stand-up comedy there's room for the the general charms uh of of charisma right a little bit of wit that's not necessarily a big laugh a nice turn of phrase an interesting image uh can certainly hold people as well as another laugh uh television producers and club owners have difficulty understanding this because they're used to that constant sound of laugh but in fact uh it's possible to take audiences with with long-form work into more interesting uh places not just because i can take them deeper into a story without the constant break of of sound of of laughter of audience response uh you know, in silence, they get to go inside a little bit <laughs> and really follow the story. But also uh, because over time, I'm able to create callbacks and nuanced images and use turns of phrase that then get repeated in new context with new information behind them. Between the beginning of my show and the end of my show, uh, there are tricks that I have done through neuro-linguistic programming, through through some some introspective work that I cause the listener to do without telling them to i leave people at least some people slightly chained and ultimately that's the purpose of art as opposed to entertainment and this is where to my mind this is where uh we have gone wrong as a society uh we uh, because of the nature of capitalism of a system that 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 does not freely share the magic we have sucked the spirit out of the arts and the science the 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 two the two true searches for pure truth uh wind up only being utilized where profit for the individuals can be seen yeah and you know we were taught in all the old old legends and scriptures 
the whole power of magic comes when it's used for all, not for individual benefit. <laughs> and as a result, we wind up in a world that is filled with greed and, and a sense of scarcity and rage and anger because everybody is feeling powerless, yeah. having been uh, inundated with other people's darker magic and never being taught their own or the power of their own. Would this also be why um, nowadays media is nothing but remixes, remakes, retellings? Like there isn't anything really original about it um or why for example with um the whole marvel universe like we're getting one or two movies like every year with fast and the furious which started off pretty good you know it was what about street racing and underground you know it was it was cool and big cars and pretty girls and now we're into i believe part Ten is coming um, out, and it's just another one of those mindless action movies. This is the nature of uh, franchising, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it happened with Lord of the Rings. It ha it's happened with you know it. Um, oh, there are all the all the variations on the Harry Potter books, the the endless Star Wars rehashes. This is the the entertainment industry doing what it does, and because of well because of unregulated capitalism particularly in the u.s the very idea of creation for an audience or for self-expression or for the reasons that one creates in the art have been diluted to the point at which the only purpose is to create a product that draws in money um it's why producers genuinely believe they might be able to get AI to write as well as humans with souls. <laughs> um, uh, on the day that AI can write as well as humans with souls, I'll bet a lot of people like me will, instead of fighting for the right to keep writers, you know, dominating AI, will mm -hmm. be fighting for the rights of AI. Because at that point, you've created life that needs to be respected. At that point, you've done the big magic, and you got to have respect for what you've done. Let, let me present a... Sorry, I feel like I'm going into lecture 255. Let me give you space <laughs> no, to ask questions. It's, no, I'm, 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 I'm fascinated. I... Um, you know, I'm from the Netherlands. We don't really have um, the the entertainment uh, industry that you have. We do have a couple of good uh, stand-up comedians. Or, um, well, it's it's not comedy what they're doing here. They prefer to call it cabarets, uh, cabaret, uh, which is uh, slightly slightly different. It's structured slightly differently. It uh, it takes on different shapes than simply straight-ahead stand-up comedy. There's probably some sketch involved. Some yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a lot, a lot of a lot of sketch and props. It's it's very much um, it's very much theater. Like it's the the theater yeah. kids actually becoming successful instead of just permanently bullied. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, let's yeah, let, well let's talk about that a little bit because <clears throat> I live in the heart of the entertainment industry, mm -hmm. um, and like many people. Uh, as a young man finding his way as an artist, I mistakenly believe that success in the art meant success in the entertainment. Um, it's, it, it's the picture that's being brought out there. 
Exactly. Uh, in in the U.S., we have largely given up on the idea of the nobility of work. <laughs> yeah. So nobody is interested in finding something they love enough to make a living. Everybody is looking for a way to make a killing. And make it now. Everybody's looking for that, <laughs> that quick fix. The, exactly. The get, get rich quick scheme like i want to yeah. be a billionaire and i want to be it by next week and i want to be a star and i want to be a celebrity and i want to people think that being a writer means doing book signings and reading not sitting no. and writing it right it's that it's that mentality that we've been trained to see only the the veneer yeah. now check this out i'm going to go to one specific element of magic before we get to how this applies to the entertainment industry if you look into pretty much any culture there is ancient legend about magic mirrors the scrying yeah. glass that was used by a ruler to spy on people and he became corrupted by what he learned uh the 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 uh queen the the this wicked stepmother queen who I'm has so the magic wise. mirror that yeah. was, her vanity leads her to become a uh, an attempted murderer uh narcissus himself right who gets lost in his reflection yeah now we have all these warnings and then we create television which is mm -hmm. essentially a magic mirror a scrying glass it is and it's... for 40 years we use it to review idealized versions of ourselves engaged in repetitive soothing activities telling the same stories over and over again in sitcoms it's any conflict is really just misunderstanding and the world will be the same at the end of the half hour as it was at the beginning which is certainly the case for you if you spent it watching a sitcom <laughs> in, in hour-long uh cop shows it's american copaganda right the police are smarter than the than the bad guys they are somehow righteously repressed. They have no sex lives. Any fetish is somehow <laughs> a psychopathy, right? There's all of that like underlying message. And yeah, it's, tell... it's a idealized version of of the world of the the specific country that it's it's being recorded exactly in. and filled with uh certainly in america the most attractive versions of the people in that world oh, right yeah it so, wouldn't sell otherwise so uh we are quite literally doing the very thing with the magic mirror we were told oh. in our legends not to oh that's a good don't one. get caught up in them don't keep staring at what you imagine don't keep getting lost in the images can you imagine what the world would be if when television was discovered when we had those three channels one mm. of them was constantly running history lessons one of them was constantly running uh uh mathematics and one of them was constantly running literature uh, or uh, if the current bandwidth of of channels was dedicated to advanced education so the kids have the shows that they can enjoy that are all about the stuff they need to learn and no matter how far you want to advance higher ideation is available to you right there through the magic mirror available to all at no cost for no profit because that, that's how magic is supposed to work right that that would definitely be my idealized version um but if i you know that's another one of those reasons why i uh, i quit my tv subscription like it's it's every channel is the same every channel is you know has the same kind of programs has their own their own game shows or tv shows that they you know bought from from america or bought from the uk and if they 
if they really want to mess it up, they'll translate it to you know to Dutch for you know, <laughs> us, us us Dutch people and with with Dutch actors, and it does kind of well for for a single season. And like not even halfway through the second season, people are like, "Oh, but this shit's boring, man." Yeah. So now let's take that to the the larger shape of the entertainment. Um. The arts and the sciences. Forgive me for snorting like that. It's it's morning. My sinuses are doing their thing. It's a very exciting time for me here in my office, um, and filled with self loathing. And um, don't worry. The, uh, <laughs> um, thank God you get to edit this later. Uh, the the the, um, <laughs> the entertainment industry constantly uh, devalues its own work in order to justify having no conscience. Hmm. Um, when I moved to LA as an artist, I came from a tradition of academic who, you know, it, my father worked at MIT as the associate provost for the arts, or as most people pronounce it, arts at MIT. Um, he, uh, the, 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 I, and he, he went into academia and remained, you know, professionally institutionalized for the rest of his life yeah. because it freed him of the needs of the marketplace, which was not something I could understand until much later in my life, right? Early on, that seemed like copping out and cheating. Yeah. Um, because he wasn't facing, can I make it in Hollywood, right? He wasn't facing, can I make it in this bigger thing? But I get to Hollywood and I'm pitching stuff as, okay, I've got this beautiful movie that I've written. It's adventure fantasy. It's about a hero from a mythical land who goes on a quest to New York and finds out none of his magic works. Mm -hmm. And it's a, and the screenplay, and this is when I was in my 20s, I wrote this script. Um, and what I'm really saying, I would say in these pitch meetings, mm -hmm. uh, is that uh, we are ill-equipped uh, to deal with the world as it is. And we really must begin uh, uh, grappling with reality or we are not able to function. Yeah. And then they would say, oh, come on. If you want to send a message, call Western Union. <laughs> um, yeah. Because, because they do. This is entertainment. It's not show art. It's show business. Right. All of these things that devalue the, the power of the most incredible communication tools we have in history. But as long as they say it's not making a point, it's not sending a message, then they are do not feel responsible for what they're saying to millions of people. It's why you wind up with movies like Forrest Gump, where the underlying message is that our nation has a heroic and noble history if we can all just learn to see it through the eyes of a complete moron. Uh, and if... Uh, if you take whatever comes out of the box of chocolates, you're always going to be in the right place at the right time. If you take responsibility for your fellow humans, you're going to wind up a bitter cripple. And if you go out and explore the world and learn things, you're going to die of hepatitis. It's a horrible message in that film. Oh, shit. Yeah. And Forrest right? Gump. <laughs> Damn. Forrest All the Gump dumb people is, succeed. Yeah. Like it's, it's <laughs> the, the American dream, but amplified times 10. Like, an Look, entire even an idiot can make it if even not, a total moron can be a billionaire just by doing things not even it's not even an idiot only an idiot oh this is what you should aspire to you should seek to be past life is like a box of chocolates you never know what you're getting well not if you don't plan your future you don't <laughs> on the other hand if you if you, one of the great magics that i work with the druid magics that i work mm -hmm. with and to exploring with all of my writers is calendrical magic and i did not see it as a magic until i began until i coined the term <laughs> and began really exploring it yeah 
um, one of the first meditations that I created, uh, first as a martial artist and then as a, a writing instructor, a writing coach, uh, are these breathing exercises, these deep breathing uh, meditation exercises that relieve anxiety and free up the creative spirit. And um, these, uh, the, as we do these exercises and return to childhood and find our ability to learn new things, mm -hmm. we discover that the human mind is rigged to explore and expand and learn. Yeah. We have been trained into passivity, into accepting what comes to us. Now, and in terms of so, in terms of yes, and in terms of calendrical magic, here's what I discovered: with writers, writers who cannot get started on their first book, they don't know how long it's going to take them, and it becomes this. Uh, anxiety created creating darkness in the future and one of the imageries i was using in the in the breathing exercises revolved around this idea that the the future is this darkness that we're moving into and that as long as we consume oxygen we cast light so we're going to be okay right yeah we're going to illuminate each moment as we move into it and as we develop our arts hey child of ash welcome uh as we move into the uh the future we will illuminate as we go and if we utilize the arts we will illuminate for others mm -hmm. what i began to realize is that as i set things on my calendar when i go into that state each point where i have a meeting or an appointment or a deadline becomes a point of light in the darkness a moment when i do know where i'll be in the future oh now that's not a point of anxiety now I have lampposts set along the path ahead of me, and some of them may flicker out, and I may miss a deadline, and things may go wrong. But as long as I am making decisions and and saying, this is the date on which this happens, this is where I will be then, I am doing the magic that brightens my future instead of accepting what comes out of the box of chocolates. <laughs> no, and sitting on a bus stop waiting. That's a good um, one. It's I like, powerful, man. Yeah, no, I, I like that because everybody is always scared of what the future might bring, especially the, the future that we're being presented now, which is Animal Farm, 1984, Brave New World, and also somehow kind of Terminator. Um, <laughs> and we and we brought it on. You know, the thing you imagine is the thing you create. The thing you assume is the thing you create. Yeah. I have a whole song at the end of my new solo show uh, about the idea that we might look to brighter futures instead of griping about the heat. That's, um, that's a, a lot of people are going to die. You know what? There's too many people. We have uh, shifted partly because of the, the capitalist system uh, that is a, a mandatory involvement Ponzi scheme. So you constantly have to have yeah. an influx of new people at the bottom, right? Uh, yeah. Started with Catholicism, reproduce, 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 except the smart ones. You guys come into the church and become celibate. Um, uh, stupid people, reproduce, 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 right? Um, yeah, because you, the, you can tell them everything and they'll believe it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you guys who you guys who, who have intellect, come on in, I'll teach you to read. We'll talk about cool shit. The, uh, this uh, overpopulation, when I was, uh, I think I was eight or nine, I, I could figure out the math, I'm not going to, 19, in the 1970s, there was a mm -hmm. study that said that the the globe can support 3.7 billion people. Oh, we're well past that. There was a Mad Magazine cover uh, with the Earth with a sign that said uh, 3.7 billion or bust. 
we were on our way to it. It was a big concern. Silent Spring had come out. We knew we were destroying the planet. And then that information got silenced. The moment information starts getting silenced, we enter a dark, right? The Catholic Church did it. Oh, there's inf- there's there's scientific information that could change the way we think. We must suppress new information in order to maintain a structure. As yeah. soon as the oil industries, the petroleum industries, uh, the uh, the church, the um, all the, all the forces of regressivism mm-hmm. began concealing new scientific and uh, misinforming the public to maintain a power structure. We entered a dark age. For 40 years, I've been saying, we needed to engage our most innovative, creative selves in order to enter a renaissance. I forgot that yeah. a plague comes in between. Oh, right. Yeah. The... When the plague hits, we're confronted with our mortality, with our connection to the whole system, right? Yeah. Yes. We are going to de- vastly deplete the human population. Maybe we can deplete it to the point where we can learn this time to be a symbiote instead of a parasite, part of a system rather than dominating us. So you could say that uh, you have uh, read a book or did a show about that, about the, the COVID years? Well, well, the show, not exactly. The show ends, uh, you know, it, it deals a little bit with the COVID years and then it deals with where we go moving forward. It uses the Druid triptych. Uh, okay. Do you know the Druid triptych? Do you know what I'm talking about when I say that? Uh, uh, for for still, your viewers. Still learning about viewers. Druid prism. So okay. Sure. Um, there's an ancient uh, poetic structure. I will tell you the story that I tell my students, although it's kind of made up. Um, I, 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 there's a bunch of stuff that I treat as well, I call it intuited history, where mm-hmm. I lay legend onto stuff that I learn uh, because I am intu- intuiting my way towards spiritual truths about the ways in which language and the arts can change the mind and the the culture. Now, Oops. the Druids uh, existed in a time before most written language, right? There were some symbols that were regularly used. They had uh, yeah. the Agam alphabet. Uh, mm-hmm. So they actually had forms of written language, which seemed like that, which were vast magic. Yeah. When I can put, however I do it, whether it's leaves strung on strings between trees or figures drawn on a board, if somebody can look at it and understand an unspoken idea, it's like, mm-hmm. um, they had a, where, where Christians teach their children to repeat the same prayer every night on their knees and maybe list some friends that they want to pray for. By the bed. Mm-hmm. The Druids had this triptych. Uh, the general structure is 17 lines, 11 lines, one line, three stanzas. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a poem. Uh, although what I really say is the first segment is the longest, the second segment is shorter, and the third segment, one line. Okay. I have been, I am, I will be. Those are the those are the stanzas. I have been a hawk on a high hill. I have been the dust of stars. I have been a worm burrowing in the earth. I have been the god who kindles fire in the head. I have been instructor and student. I have been mage and fool. I am a facilitator of workshops. I am a writer. I am the one who can be counted on in time of trouble. I am the creator of flickering dreams on a screen in the dark. I will be the creator of great imagery that changes world. Right, it's that that's the structure. I have been, I am, I will be. Now, 
in this time of druidry, children were taught this as a structure that would change over the course of their lives. You are not static. You do not speak to your God in the same way every night because you are not the same every night and you are not speaking to God. You are speaking to you. What have I been? What am I? What do I aspire to? Mm -hmm. And in this way, we become controllers of our own uh, destiny of our own fate, like calendrical magic. All of these ideas, and that's that's that thought that our evening prayers, if we would call it that, becomes yeah. an ever-changing, evolving work, allows us to think differently about our place in the world. We're not growing up to be something. We're just growing. I, Much go. I I do I do like that that thought because the uh, that's something that's um, that I have been struggling with myself. Like you, you'll hear everyone uh, always saying things like, oh, you know, I knew from when I was a little boy that I wanted to grow up and be that. And, you know, I always had this childhood dream of doing this or going there. And, you know, then there is me. And I'm like, don't think I ever had those dreams. I don't think I ever, I, I even, you know, talked to my parents about it. And I was like, mom, ever really told you or, or dad, like, hey, when I grow up, I want to be this, you know, I want to be a, a fighter, fighter, a pilot, a, you know, whatever. She was like, no, no, I don't, I don't think you ever did. And that's, it, it's, it, for the longest time for me, it felt like that was something that I was missing somehow because sounds, that's what you're supposed to have or something. I, I don't, I don't know, it, but now I'm just accepting it. It's and... wonderfully freeing to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> On the other hand, it yeah, it is freeing because I don't really have a a set goal. Like I told you before we went live, I'm currently studying to be a um, a security guard, security officer, if you will. I've done ten years uh, in the kitchen as a cook, and you know maybe someday I'll grow bored of being security guards and I want to be something else and then i have all these side gigs going on and just i i want to do as much as i can experience as much that's where as I it can. lies that's where it lies you just hit it sign you want to do as much um i think one of the great mistakes we make with children and we've been doing it you know for uh is asking kids what they want to be when they grow up rather than what they want to do. It's the difference mm. between the active verb and what I think of as the soft active verb, the, the participle, the simple existing, uh, rather yeah. than thinking in terms of how we want to affect the world or what we wish to accomplish or experience. We are trained to think in terms of what we want to become that will then be static, a title, a, a very, uniform. Yeah, a very box thinking and um listen when i was a child i wanted to be an actor and a comic that's all i want mm -hmm. uh and i learned how to perform stand-up comedy and how to write jokes and how to do jokes and i toured for 15 years uh as a comic and i was pretty good at it and i got a little bit of television and i began to discover that it felt cheap right the the trick of how a joke works yeah became easy oh um and yeah. i felt i felt like i was taking advantage of people by uh forcing my will upon them through an intellectual act of bullying sort of with each show mm. enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder can i make a podcast but it seems so complicated 
and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from Podtastic Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is Podcasting Made Easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podtasticaudio.com slash easy. And I was, I had become the thing I wanted to be. And it was, I, I didn't have the, quite the, the financial and the, the, the uh, industry success that I had imagined when I was younger and didn't understand any of it, but I was good at what I was doing, <laughs> but I was no longer enjoying it. Right. And um, I had yeah. to figure out what would come next. And I had, and interestingly, I, I've never really thought about this because I never realized until this conversation that there was a point at which that was a set of skills that I owned. Right. Mm -hmm. I am that I can do that when I need to, yeah. but I have no interest in being that as central to my identity. Oh, my okay. interest yeah. shifted to what I do from who I was becoming, which I think makes perfect sense because as a child, you don't know who you are yet. And there, you, you need to sort of find out. And then once you find out who you are, then you get to decide not what to be, but what to do and how to use yeah. who you are, uh, where the identity fits into the larger scheme. Let's talk about those jokes for it because this is, this is really interesting. This is when I started to discover druidry. This was the first okay. understanding of the power of magic uh, as I was growing bored with the jokes. It's when I realized that language is inherently magic. Um, we, we've we've talked about that many times on the, the podcast, and word magic is definitely something I'm interested in. Um, when I tell a joke, I have realized it is a spell. It is a small spell. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I give the setup. I give the punchline. An entire room full of people goes back in time a half a second, figures out where they were confused, catches up at the same time, and they all have the same thought at the same time that was never spoken. That's how a joke works, right? Yeah. It's that realization that I have caused them to have this, it's that I felt stupid, now I'm smarter. It's why laughter feels very much the same as aha. Yeah. Right now, yeah, the druids had something called a satire that's spelled with a Y mm -hmm. that could disempower uh, an unjust ruler, uh, a cruel warlord, a tribal leader that they didn't like, what have you. A few words generally rhyme that uh, made it spoken in public made it impossible for people to have the same respect for this. It's probably the origin of the modern limerick. There once was a fellow from Kent who, oh, right, yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's a raw, it's it was essentially a rhymed clever insult you ridicule someone in public and they are undermined for authority right it's it's why uh our former president the, the orange moron cannot take a joke um it's it's uh it's why nixon sent the fbi to threaten david steinberg for the joke that said his face is a foot because they can sense that there is power in these jokes that it could change the way people think Right. Every time someone uses one of these jokes to reinforce a stereotype or a trope, yeah. they further embed that in the psyche. That's dark match. Advertisements that create uh, an imagined uh, problem that they then mm -hmm. solve with a product you must pay for and then close with whatever the act now uh, call to action is that makes you reach for your credit card. Dark magic. <laughs> 
It's dark magic. It is. It's, it's, it's funny. I've I've actually been uh, kind of uh, binge watching the series Madman the last couple of days, which very much is about uh, about that about advertising advertisement and all. And it's and it's kind of scary sometimes. It's the, the use of powerful magics to manipulate the mind. In that case, purely for consumerism. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Because in the same way that the entertainment industry will not admit that it is creating crappy art, not acknowledging what the underlying messaging is because it claims it doesn't have any, but it mm -hmm. of course does because all art has underlying messaging, even sure. if it is pro status quo messaging. Right. It's still um, a message. Exactly. And it's doing it to contain these smaller messages, right, that are the, the sales that, that keep the whole thing going. This whole thing is going on all the time, training us uh, that that art is powerless because it is only being used as entertainment, because because interesting comics don't get onto television, because uh, <laughs> be, be, because um, Anti-intellectualism has told people that going to theater is boring and dumb and a waste of one's time. You could just watch yeah. television, and, right? All of that stuff. Um, in that exact same way that they don't acknowledge that they're creating art, uh, society does not acknowledge that sciences and the arts are magic. Technology is magic. And if we don't want to be harmed by it, we must approach it following the rules we left behind for ourselves in legend as to how magic must be used. Would that also be why it's easier to um, to spin truth in than lies? I mean, I, no, then just what? What is well, then just uh, then just flat out telling people how it is like i i've i've been you know social justice warrior in my early 20s when i thought i figured out how the world works and like <laughs> i can see behind the curtain i can see the man behind the curtain uh, little did i know that he's just one of several dozen men and there are 10 more curtains um <laughs> which absolutely sucks uh, I, but... you know what the the weird thing is they didn't even intend to make curtain there you know it's the hardest thing for me is to remember that nobody is doing any of this mm -hmm. as a conscious act oh, a few people are maybe but nobody is consciously saying uh i want to work for a corporation that's going to ruin the world everybody nobody <laughs> sets out to be evil Everybody is no. setting out to meet their own need within an ethical and moral construct that they believe in. If it's and, ethical and moral for them, then it is justified and whatever they do is okay. And organized religion over the millennia has trained people to believe that their consciences mm -hmm. are not to be trusted. It's what science now tells us with uh, with our senses you know just because you see those things happening doesn't mean that it's actually happening it's much more nuanced than that but you're not a scientist so you won't understand just <laughs> let, let 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 us do the thinking we have the answers don't worry just sit back consume products and be excited for next product i there's a, a lot of that um i don't think uh s scientists say don't do the thinking let us do the thinking well um, it's, it's I, what the the media tells us that scientists say because yeah. it's, it's it's always science says that you know scientists have figured out that but never any any names or institutions just always this fake term i oh that's interesting i um 
it may be because of my connections to MIT and my tendency to uh, uh, read the peer-reviewed stuff instead mm -hmm. of just sort of listening to to mass media on science. I, I it worries me when science begins to become opaque. Um, I mean, we, we know there's a certain amount of intellectual covetousness around science because that's sure. when people start speaking in dead languages. You know, they're trying to hide something. And there's a yeah. lot of Latin floating around in the sciences. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, within the sciences, as within the art, there are those who are driven to the pure work, who don't get uh, the coverage that the big study by the Rand Corporation gets because they do the study and then they put money behind market. Yeah. Whereas the scientist who's seeking the truth is spending his day, you know, opening muscles and looking for the tiny specks and making notes on them and getting excited about things that he doesn't know how to tell the story. She doesn't know how to tell the story about mm -hmm you know, and doesn't have the money to hire a marketing department to tell everybody these specs in the muscles mean that we've put too much formo nuhaldamide into the ocean. And we have, you know, that's, that's yeah. not, there are always those whose consciences, consciences draw them toward the pure discovery, the truth, the pure work, the effort. Sure. There are still, still those, uh, those scientists. And I'm not saying that all, science is bad and that we should just you know give up and everything and return to the dark ages like oh science like oh, oh too no. late too late we're there oh damn okay well <laughs> right <laughs> yeah yeah we really are i the the idea that that we knew when i was a child that we were polluting the planet that we were overpopulating that we were just breaking we, we broke the planet and we didn't take out the warren mm. and and we saw it coming yeah and uh and instead of taking any kind of action but, uh the power structure held tight but you know calling twenty thousand cows will do the trick and switching from gas-powered vehicles to electric vehicles yeah but i mean it, it, it sure it's gonna help but it won't undo sure, yeah. it Oh, no, it's, we it's... won't do it, but we will move forward. We're within 10 years of cold fusion. Then we have to deal with a whole new set of ethics. Yeah. Because what do you do when charging someone for electricity is as absurd as making us pay Prometheus's household uh, a royalty every time we light a match? Yeah. I, if, I like if that a, point. It, well, if electricity is a naturally produced, naturally available uh, energy source, mm -hmm. right? If... If we don't have to use up a natural resource to get it, why, how dare we withhold it from one another? It's it's why I have difficulty, and this is weird for a writer to say, with intellectual property rights. Me and Woody Guthrie. How can a thought be owned? If it can serve mankind, how can I withhold it? Uh, so, you know, um, same thing, uh, same discussion is popping up now with AI art, for example. Like, is it really art? Because you're just you know, putting a few lines in a generator and it generates it for you, but it's learned technology. So it takes from everything it can find and I'm on, create I'm on something from it. I'm on strike about exactly this right now. Um, and looking at, scri at script uh, that AI has written, it cannot yet do what artists can do. It can do things that look the same to an untrained eye. Yeah. Uh, and producers largely have an untrained eye. <laughs>
So yeah. they don't they don't realize just how you know how meaningless what's what's being created by AI is. Uh, it's it's not art because it doesn't reveal anything new about the human condition. On the day that AI begins to create art that expresses its fears about a power outage, then we got something that's worth exploring. And then we have uh, a new life form that needs protection. Yeah, I I was going to say, I think by that point, we can truly call it intelligence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But so many people are afraid of AI because, you know, everyone's seen, um, seen or like heard of the Terminator and Skynet and whatever. But it's it's a tool. It's a tool that we can use. Like everything is a tool basically or can be used as a tool but we must it's, make decisions as to what is to come as to what we are we intend to do as to why we create these things and what the real benefits are that we seek from and still at this point it's just how do they affect our economic unfortunately that, that, ain't uh, the, that ain't the real question you know? uh, yeah no money is the um, the god of this world as they say, and it, it it seems like it is at least for the the normies. For the moment, things yeah. change. There's a there's a wonderful Chekhov ex, uh, uh, Stanislavski exercise that I believe he did with uh, Anton Chekhov uh, about uh, finding out what the super action is of a family, uh, and it's about you know a man who comes home with the money and he's uh, counting the money and he hears someone scream in the in the kitchen and he goes and his wife is bathing a baby in the kitchen and it, she's it slipped into the sink and he helps her get it out of the sink but while he's doing that his uh 9 year old son begins putting the money into the uh fireplace oh and burns down the house uh and they wind up homeless and the question is what what is the super action and the super action is that everybody is trying to take care of the family the yeah. mom who is accidentally drowning the baby is trying to bathe it the dad who leaves things unattended kind of the money is trying to take care of the need the kid is trying to warm the house yeah and does it right because uh the to to the the child mind the the meaninglessness of money is absolutely apparent yeah it's something that grown-ups use, but... Uh, it's yeah. something that grown-ups use, but also, as a kid, I knew it was somehow a lie. That that paper did not have actual value. That was somehow representing something that didn't mean what it pretended to mean. I knew yeah. it. And I, I think, you know, as as the, the untenable modern economic structures collapse, as uh, society undergoes the deep changes that are coming, as mm -hmm. Earth says, no, too many of you, I've got a fever, I'm developing the shakes, there's a, a lot of, you know, my my air is fucked, I gotta, I gotta get rid of some of you, we may... If we leave the right stories behind informing the next civilization of what the rules are, we may set the stage for a far better version of humanity. Yeah, that is that is something that um, we have been going on uh, or going into on the the podcast. Like we uh, we we kicked the podcast off with a, uh, a multi part series about Ragnarok. The, uh, the end of the world or the end of, uh, of civilization, according to the, uh, the North Germanic tales. And basically with the question, like, has it already happened? Is it happening again? Will it be happening again? Like it's cycles, you know, the, the Yugas as they, they know them in the, in the East. And, you know, clearly ask any, 
anyone knows slightly familiar with Eastern mysticism, we are most definitely in the Kali Yuga, the, you know, the end point. Um, I don't think it's definite. And I don't think there is an end point. I think uh, all of this is metaphoric about cyclical behaviors of civilization. And, uh, you know, it's in the U.S., it's all about apocalypse. It's all about, you know, the, the Christian apocalypse and the end times and the I will tell you about okay. my um I, I am a martial, I'm a martial arts master, I'm a fourth Dan black belt, Taekwondo, third Dan black belt, Hapkido. I have a black belt in Kigumno as well. Uh, I, there was a point I was having a difficulty with a client and I went into the studio to talk to my master and he made me come out on the mat because his answer to everything involves sparring and kicking me a lot. And, uh, and at one point, as we're sparring, suddenly he came toward me with his fist drawn. Eye contact, fist drawn. And I felt myself, like my breath caught, and I froze for a moment. And he said, aha, this is the lesson. The universe is not. And he said, when all you focus on is the fist, it becomes the universe and you will encounter. This space here is all space that is not a fist. This space out here is space that is not a fist. Move into any of that space and the fist is not a problem. And for 30 years, uh, well, more than that, uh, during uh, the 60s and early 70s, there was a span of optimism, of futurism. Uh, uh, Close Encounters was really the end of that era, but all the all the Star Trek stuff, the Gene Roddenberry, the original Gene Roddenberry vision, um, a lot of Ray Bradbury's work, a lot of uh, a little of Heinlein's work. This is really forward-looking stuff. How does the world change? How do we grow up as a civilization? Uh, once Reagan came in and the Christian right took over, we became a death. And the end of the world became the fist that is the universe. And all science fiction became about empire building, about uh, zombie hordes, about uh, uh about death, about ends of times, and about uh, desolated and, and barren landscapes. And then we built that fist and we kept building it and we kept because hey once it had made some money keep telling that story once it's made some money keep telling that story. it makes people nervous keep telling that story um until it became the fist we were moving toward we had no choice between if we tell different stories we can change the way we see the world and we can change that's that's a, i'll have to think that one over but it's i i do understand it uh don't ask me to explain it but i i do i do understand it it's a good one it's you know it becomes what you what you focus on as you uh you said earlier which is um quite coincidental because myself and uh, my fiance who is american um she's unfortunately at work at the moment because you know at least one of us has to work for a living um can't do just do podcasting all day money has has to be made uh but uh we actually recently started uh our own well we call it our manifestation journey because we have a certain goal in mind she really wants to uh to come over to uh to europe to the netherlands together with her uh her family but there is there's a lot that has to be has to be done for that um and i'm you know not even just talking about paperwork and all that but a lot more has to be done for that so we are trying to uh to really put our mind to that um which is easier for um it's it's I'm not gonna say that it's easy but uh we complete each other nicely in that way she is always the emotional one i've always been the the rational 
ones. So whenever her emotions get too high and, you know, her anxiety starts to play up and all, and it's like, oh, babe, like, I don't know what to do because, you know, this is happening, that's happening. Or like, babe, we're focusing on this one thing, right? Yeah, yeah, but, you know, all these other things, that, that doesn't matter for now. This is the goal. This is what we're working towards. Have you put a date on the calendar? Not I'm going yet. to suggest that you you figure out, like take the time to figure out what do we need to put into place, about how long do we think that'll take, this date it has. Uh, it will change the way you think. It'll change the way you behave, and it will change, you know, I don't, I, I'm not as spiritual as one would think of a druid. Uh, you know, someone mm-hmm. once told me, you know, I needed a, a vision board. Uh, I said I would put up a picture of a vision board and a vision board manifest. So I'll give it some thought. Um, I, uh, I'm not, I'm not that guy, but I have discovered that when I choose a day de- and you miss deadlines, you don't always get it right. Mm-hmm. But the reason we resist doing it is that we can feel the power of the spell. We can feel, it's like magnets where the the positive ends don't quite want to come together. When you try to put the date on a calendar for something that you don't feel you can accomplish by that day, you feel the resistance, that, 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 that push. I don't want to put, I don't want to be lying in ink, Mm -hmm. right? Because we can feel the power of the commitment. If you put down the date, then you start to break down. Oh, what do I need to have done by what date then? If that's going to happen on that day. And your brain automatically starts breaking down the, the step. And it's no longer an amorphous span of time. Well, we just have to get all of this done. And then we can figure out when. This is when. Now we have to get all this stuff done. I like that. I'll, I'm, I'm definitely going to gonna present this uh, this to her as well. I it's It works. What does your chest say? All shall fade. It's uh, you can like you can take it. I I, I try to take it um, both ways. Give a, a more a bit of a positive spin <laughs> on it. That you know, yeah, positive positive things, good things come and go. So do bad things. Yep. Nothing nothing really sticks. It, and it's it comes meta and goes ebb and flow over time. Your tattoo is going to fade. <laughs> that's that's true. That's really cool. That's tr- that's true. I, I didn't I didn't even consider that one, but that's very true indeed. Nice. Uh, listen, I don't know if you're interested. I don't know if any of your people would be interested. I don't know how many people listen to you or how far away. I am doing on uh, on the twenty first of this month. I'm doing a sol- uh, summer solstice free write. Uh, and if anybody wants to participate, you can go to activevoiceproductions.com slash summer hyphen solstice. Uh, I don't know why summer hyphen solstice needs to be all lowercase, but it does. <laughs> and you don't spell out hyphen because that would be stupid. Oh, not? Uh, okay. Yeah, you know, summer and then a hyphen and then solstice. Uh, at Activoice Productions, I do this on the uh, solstices and the equinoxes. I just do a free open show up and write with me. And I would love to have you if you want to show up. Uh, the the exercises we do may help you find on the page what all you want to do uh, while and beyond you become the time that you become a security guard. I'd love to join. I, uh, I would absolutely love to join. I am trying to find the link so I can put it up in would you uh, like me to put it in chat is there a chat well. window i don't see where the chat window is uh yeah we have a uh a private chat as well um, i'm putting it there for you thank you yes Anything i would for you, sir. i would uh, i would love to join that um lovely i don't have plans yet 
for the solstice, but guess I do now. So, um, and it's going to be at a weird time for you because it's at uh, six p.m. Pacific time. So you'll be getting up in the wee hours, I guess, the day after the solstice properly. Uh, uh I, uh, I am very much used to having uh, having to adjust to uh, weird time periods and weird time zones. Uh, that's that's one of the things. Um, uh, I feel terrible. I've, I just I just discovered that there's this huge list of comments that I had <laughs> coming in over here. I'm so sorry, guys. I would have been responding to all of you. Oh no, that's it's that happens. Um, I can pull some uh, some up. Uh, let's see. I'm Tricky Woo, a um, a regular on the on the podcast, regular in the in the show when we were talking about AI. Uh, and the writers, there will be two classes, those who utilize AI and those who don't. I, when we went on strike, uh, one of the things that happened very early in the negotiations, like right before before we went on strike, when we were you know presenting our needs, the writers asked that when producers use AI to create their script, mm-hmm. a writer must be in the room to give the prompt and do the rewrites. That was the request, which feels to me like it's, you know, preemptive surrender to the robot. And the producer's response was, no, we will agree to have one meeting about the use of AI. Like there was, that was like meeting. Yeah. We will have one meeting about that. We will not, we will not do anything (laughs) to guarantee any job security, even as you are acknowledging that the world has changed and that we will be using these money saving devices, but all we will agree to is at some point we will talk to you about it. Wow, yeah, that that I mean that does sound sound very uh, very Hollywood. It's like we'll we'll talk about it once someday <laughs> in the future when you know it's become inevitable and it's it took me it took me ten people. years. It took me 10 years to understand after I moved out here that uh, in Hollywood, yes plus time equals no. Yeah. If they're putting it into the future, then it's like, oh. we're not interested. Oh, yeah. Just... We'd love to talk to you about this. Can we put something on the calendar for a couple of months from now? No. Let's do that tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's um, that's very true. And uh, Jalavash, uh, Joshua, good friend of mine, tribal elder, um about twisting the stories and the narrative that when rome it started with the story of romulus and remus uh twins find a lot um just as the triple goddess from triple deity uh they twisted every principle he used when founding rome they preferred the stories of him to justify terrible things and that seems to be a uh, very much a a trend as well um well what we spoke about nobody goes in wanting to corrupt yeah. a system or work for a corrupt system but nobody as long sets as they out can... to be a bad guy nobody sets no. out to be bad, except steve bannon <laughs> yeah i guess as long as they can justify it for themselves then they're not the bad guys and i'm sure everybody thinks that way i'm sure nobody thinks of himself as a bad guy no listen why would you think of yourself as a bad guy? That's a dumb thing to do. I'm sure there are people, you know, in my country who would think of me as somehow evil and satanic because I believe in utterly unchristian thing, you know? Oh, dear. Uh, How chi- satanic. Child of Ash 420 uh, uh, posted a thing about the gateway experiments with MK Ultra. I uh, yeah. uh, There's a thing that comes up see. in my show. 
uh, I just understood that when you click on that, it comes up down here. That's cool. Look, yeah. It's magic. Um, you learn something every day. <laughs> I, the, when I was a kid, I heard a, uh, a high-pitched tone at the back of my head. And I asked my dad about it, and he taught me the word tinnitus um, and mm. said not to worry about it. Uh, but it stayed with me. And then when I took acid in my late teens, early 20s, I was able to find it again. And I've recently been able to access it anytime I want. Uh, and I, re I explored it a lot during a, an ayahuasca uh, ritual that I attended a year or so ago. And I, I've been aware of this thing for a long time. And I've been uh, reading some fantasy novels in which the author deals with uh, the idea of frequency and vibration as key technologies slash magics in the world that he's created. And when I was in my 20s, I found Robert Monroe's stuff. Uh, he did a lot of work with binaural uh, sounds, yeah. where by having different sounds in each ear slightly off pitch, you create a vibration that the mind, try, the brain tries to rectify, and it changes the way the brain works depending on what frequencies you pair. Yeah. Um, and at the time, I didn't think of it, but more recently, as I was exploring the sound in the back of my head, I became aware of it, the connection. Hi, everyone. This is JJ, the co-founder of Good Pods. If you haven't heard of it yet, Good Pods is like Goodreads or Instagram, but for podcasts. It's new, it's social, it's different, and it's growing really fast. There are more than 2 million podcasts, and we know that it is impossible to figure out what to listen to. On Good Pods, you follow your friends and podcasters to see what they like. That is the number one way to discover new shows and episodes. You can find Good Pods on the web or download the app. Happy listening! And as I uh, looked more into him, because I first found him in, uh, in my 20s, someone gave me tapes. They were cassette tapes uh, of these hypnotic uh, binaural uh, meditation things. Cassette tapes, remember um, those? Yeah, <laughs> and they came, like it was 12 of them, I think. They came in like a small briefcase looking thing. Uh, so now we have the internet, right? As I, I was doing some binaural stuff because I, I do use those sounds sometimes. And I went, oh, I wonder what happened to that guy. I wonder, and I found out that he was part of the MKUltra uh, experiment. The, before the Monroe, he, in, the Monroe Institute. Uh, yes, before yeah. he went on to do the Monroe Institute, before he went on to create all of that stuff. He was part of those, uh, uh, I don't think it was the Gateway experiment, but he was uh, exploring uh, frequency and psychic phenomena. And uh, again, you know, we don't acknowledge, we, we call it technology so that we don't have to think about it as magic. Uh, that's, it's it's a, a famous quote. I've seen it so many times, I forget who, um, totally forgot who wrote it, but... Um, technology sufficiently advanced appears in the server. Is indistinguishable it, from magic, yeah. Yeah. I think it's Arthur C. Clarke. It might, might just it's, be. It's, it's either it's Arthur a... C. Clarke or Isaac Asimov. Oh, that would be an Asimov quote. Um, look it up. Oh, later. I got to Google it. I got to Google it. I got to know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's... that's Efficiently advanced. There we go. So... Uh, that is... It's not telling me. It should be telling me right away who that is. Well, Arthur C. Clarke! Score! Yes. I, I believe I get a point. Yes. Yes, you do. <laughs> uh, I... Uh, I read a lot of science fiction when I was a kid and then a lot of fantasy in my adolescence and early youth. And my my memory for uh, pithy quotations, it's like my memory for jokes. The, the only joke I've ever 
loved that I could not remember. Uh, I could only remember part of the setup. And when I ran into Larry David at an event, uh, I said, Larry, you had a joke in 1981. How did it go? And I gave him the setup and he said, you're, wait, you're, I remember this. You're getting the setup wrong. And then he couldn't remember what the joke was. It still torments oh, me. That's, that's a shame. But I remember any joke <laughs> I like. I remember I remember where I heard it. I remember who said it. I remember how it worked. Yeah, you always remember the stuff that um, that makes the, makes the, uh, the most impact. Most people you. don't. Most people cannot remember a joke. Uh, some people can't tell a joke properly. If I do a show and then a, a year later I come back to the same club, I'll have a lot of the same mm -hmm. audience. And there's there are comics who use the same act for 40 years, or there used to be at least, because people will hear the same joke and they won't remember it. They won't. It doesn't ruin it for them that they've heard it before because the trick works again. And the first yeah. thing that happens when we learn a new thing is that we forget what it was like not to know it. And Unless you are dissecting the joke uh, to use it, you hear it, it surprises you, it changes the way you think, and then you forget that you ever heard it. And the next time you hear the setup, you make the same mistake of thought again that led you into the trap that gets you laughing at. It's a really remarkable little little skill. Yeah, set. that's that's quite interesting. I mean, uh, there are some um, well, cabarets here in the, the Netherlands. I can I, I I know like half their sets by heart just because it's they're so so good but nice. uh, yeah all, all very much um skits and theatrics and props and they're it, uh, really different it's a it's a different kind of um different kind of comedy but and that can only happen live this yeah there is there is something that happens when a performance occurs live that is very different from what happens when an edited performance appears on television. Um, yeah. And uh, I have, you know, I haven't done a full sort of hermeneutic examination of that phenomenon in the way I have with uh, how jokes work. But the effect of a room full of people realizing they are having the same thoughts at the same time, putting the pieces together themselves with the long form story stuff. When people, there, there are moments when people start to see near the end of a show, the callbacks starting to structure themselves into a, a pattern, the, 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 uh, the larger story suddenly taking shape and coming into focus as the last elements are put into place. I can feel it happen. And once one person goes, oh, you, the people around them realize there's something to be looking for and start finding the, like, it's, you feel it. It's, and it cannot happen yeah. alone in a room with a, uh, an electronic device. No, no, it's, it's so much, it's, it's so different. Just the whole atmosphere, the, the energy in the room or, um, just, you know, hearing the, sometimes even just the wave of laughter from, you know, the people in the front who, who get it, then all the way to the back as, I guess as the energy just like spreads through the room and it's, I, I've been to a, a few, uh, well, cabaret shows. I've been to some, uh, some live shows and, um, especially with the, with the props when they, uh, when they bring out the props, it's also that, that sense of anticipation, like, okay, what's the, what the hell is he bringing on stage and what is he going to do with it? Because, this is this is odd. This is new. I haven't seen I haven't seen this before. And some do it just so incredibly well, especially if they can do um, like different characters, different voices. Like there's this uh, comedian from my uh, my hometown where I live. He's kind of a, a hometown hero, 
um, incredibly ADHD. Like he is, he goes a million miles an hour, well, a good hour, and still manages to keep his audience interested, even though there is this this one show where he quite literally interrupts himself, does another skit by like pretending he is um, being someone from like the the, the five o'clock news. And then when that skit's done, goes right back into the story of what he was doing and what he was telling. And people are still engaged. And I think oh, that's sure. so, I think that's so cool. If you can do that, like interrupt yourself, do something else, go back to what you were doing and people still love it. I work a lot with nested flashbacks in my story where I begin one story and then it leads me to a memory and I'll tell that story. And then I return to the story I had begun only now it's informed by this other stuff, right? That, that, yeah. that you know, my history is now uh, affecting what you're hearing. And uh, I utilize it deliberately because it draws the listener deeper in. They're hearing a story, they're following a tale, and then suddenly they're cast into memory and imagination and a different shape. And now when we return to the story, it feels to them as though they are insider. They, they've they're already up to speed with where we are. Now yeah. there's new information, and now we're just coming back to this thing that we're already discussing. And it creates this sense of continued intimacy. Um, the the mm -hmm. reason that a callback works so well in comedy is when you, you have a punchline to a joke, and then later the punchline is reused under a different circumstance and gets a new laugh. It's because that has become an inside joke shared by everyone in the room. So a kind of intimacy has been created amongst all these strangers in the moment. There's a, a thing that I talk about. This is not in any way paganism connected, but it's comedy connected. So we'll go with that. Um, sure. After a show, when a show goes well, people want to talk. They want to have a conversation yeah. with you because they genuinely believe they have just shared an experience. They yeah. will line up to meet you because they feel they've shared an experience. When in fact, you're the only person in the room they haven't shared the experience. The other people they're not talking to on the line, those are the people they shared an experience. They were all having the same experience. I'm very busy on stage. I'm not meeting you. I'm not learning about you. I'm not about the audience members. I'm not becoming an intimate friend with they are all experiencing the same thing and each one believes that they have shared something with me because i shared something with them oh wow that is it's cool yeah it's 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 really a psychological trickery in a way but it's it's yeah that's very cool that's very interesting i never thought about it in in that way uh when I do my job well as a storyteller, people come up to me afterwards and say, I got a story just like that one. When I do it really well, I do not understand which of my stories they think the one they tell me is like. When I do it really well, they tell me stories where I have no idea what the connection is to what I said that. Because what's happened is the universality of my experience has somehow triggered in them a memory that has convinced them that one of the five stories I told is exactly like this one story of there mm. and I have no idea what the connection is or which story even it is and I don't care I just love that they're telling stories that they're finding their memories that I'm <laughs> that I am the god who kindles fire in the head ah, I like that it's one. a it's yeah, a druid yeah. precept it's a basic yeah. druid precept
I am the god who kindles fire in the head. Bringer of light, bringer of, of warmth, making that, that spark flame up. Yeah, that's a good one. But I guess it's also because we have, you know, young, old, whatever, we have all experienced similar things in in some some way. Like, you know, I can, especially if you're like, if you're doing the same job, for example, you know, as a as a former cook, when I talk with, with other cooks or former uh, former cooks, it's like, oh yeah, I've been there, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, I got a story about, I got a story about it or, you know, this, this terrible chef or that, you know, line chef who disappeared into the cooler with this cute new server, server girl and um, it's crazy, crazy stuff, but it's, it's some kind of unconscious connection, even though if there, there is really no connection at all, like you said, you're just telling a story you're you're performing i think it's really it's special when you can do that when you can make make people feel like there is a connection without there actually being a connection well, yeah it's well the artist uh says this is who i am this is how i see the world and then uh the audience says oh i thought something i like i had a ah <laughs> Right. Yeah. That's 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 the effect of the art. It sparks to life the excitement about one's own insight. It reminds yeah. us that there is value in interpreting and expressing and sharing. Um, and then when it becomes a tool for the status quo, mm. then it becomes uh, a sophophoric. It becomes a, a way of turning off the epigenetic switches for creativity and, and innovation. A way, a, a way of working the magic into a sleeping potion. Uh, we we think we're we think we're learning when we're watching the news. We think we're becoming more informed. In fact, we're just sort of entertaining the part of us that likes to be outraged or intrigued. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, um, thinking thinking we're so intelligent and thinking, yeah. Um, but, and we think we're somehow decompressing and relaxing when we watch uh, fiction on television. And in fact, we're just. Uh, actively participating in our own indoctrination and losing yourself in another world, someone else's life. You know, you're as you as you said, you're experiencing, or you feel like you are experiencing it with them. But, but nobody it's, watches it's, a sitcom. Nobody watches an hour-long television drama and says, "Oh, I, that happened to me." No, oh, that's just like when I was at work and suddenly we all had this weird misunderstanding that lasted for 30 minutes and then was over. That never oh, happens. that's that's just like when a helicopter crashed into my place of business and, and somebody lost a leg. No, <laughs> no, yeah, or, yeah, no, that's yeah, that's that's exactly it. Or what I um, I, I guess best example of uh, of all would be uh, Seinfeld's, which is a show about nothing. Well, that's not entirely true. Uh, it's a show about judgmentalism and clickish. It's not a show about nothing. It's a it's a show about how uh, comics are kind of dick. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, uh, it pretends to be a again. It's the thing the entertainment industry likes to do. We're not saying anything. It's not about anything. Yes, it is. Yes, it yeah. is. It's it's about uh, it's about how uh, 
we think we're smarter than everyone. We think we're smarter than everyone. We think we're better than everyone. Someone who talks too close must be cut out of our lives. Somebody whose hands are too big must be cut out of our lives. Somebody who talks too slowly must be cut out of our lives. Somebody who, you know, and we'll, we'll give a name to this trait that we disapprove of, and then we'll ridicule them behind their backs. That's that's what the show was. And, and uh, then get upset and outraged when you have no no friends left, nobody who wants to do anything with you because hey you're just going to be a judgmental prick afterwards yeah or suggest watching television or yeah. talking or talking about that really funny seinfeld episode i uh, yeah and and, uh, and that can, that is the opposite of what happens in a room live in a room live something electric happens um in a it, 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 and it's one of the comics uh whom i argued most with in my youth, uh, Sam Kinison. Do you know who Kinison was? Yeah, I had a feeling. Oh, yeah. He was no, a, I, I he, believe. I believe I. I do. Um, it, I believe. Yeah. He was a big deal in the 1980s. He died in the late 80s or early 90s. Um, he was one of the reactionary right wing comics at the same thing, time that Andrew Dice Clay was coming up. This guy was a wonderful joke writer, <laughs> but his he was an uh, a Southern evangelical at heart. He came out of. Mm. Uh, the evangelical church. His dad was a, a minister. He had worked in the tent revivals and he could work up the energy of a tent revival. He would do it. He would pace the stage and he would sweat and he would take you on a ride with his jokes. And then sometimes he would just scream his rage at women. Are you married? Are you thinking about getting married? Think about what it's going to feel like to wake up every day. To this thing, oh! Like that was all he did was he shocked <laughs> people with the amount of screaming rage he had. Yeah. By using vulgarity and, uh, um, shock value. He was able to create the illusion that he was somehow cutting it. And he reinforced a great many stereotypes because comedy can, as much as it can reveal, it can also undermine. If enough people believe a thing, that you can trigger them all to have the same thought, even though it's a lie, the, the trickle still works. If the what I call the Masonic capstone of the joke, the thing that the audience has to listen, uh, has to think in order for the joke to work, if that Masonic capstone is, oh yeah, it would be better if all those people were dead. There's a problem with the joke. If it's, what do you call this many of this group going off a cliff in a bus? And the answer is a good start. There's a problem with the joke. And I don't care what the group of people is. I don't care yeah. if it's ethnic or professional. I don't care if it's Swiss or lawyers, right? It's, once you're deciding who needs to die, and reinforcing that through a joke, you're using it for evil. The thing you fit into the joke is, oh, right, because Jews are cheap. Then there's a problem with the joke. If the thing you have to fit in is, oh, right, because blacks are stupid and lazy, there's a problem with the joke. It's based on a lie. For those who laugh at them, reinforces the stereotype or the, 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 because laughing at it creates a sense that it must be true. Um, which is why I am so rigorous about what I say. I had a joke years ago. Oh, this also refer brings us back to that feeling of when the audience responds, that rolling laughter that you were talking about. And by the way, you should feel that from the position of the guy who creates it. Pretty extraordinary. Um, I had a joke for years that I loved because it got an applause break. And I am a, uh, an attention whore. The, the joke was that I had come out of, I got into Denny's restaurant at two in the morning after a show. Manager's gone home for the night. Waitress comes over to my table, breastfeeding an infant. She says, can I get you all anything? I said, yeah, I'd like to have a children's menu, please. Now, uh, this always got a laugh requesting the children's menu. Ha ha ha. After uh, Rob Reiner's movie came out, 
uh, for a long time, one in three times, someone would shout, I'll have what he's having. And then I could top them with my punch and get a better mm-hmm. laugh and applause break. And then it was pointed out to me that it's inherently sexy. There's a single woman, uh, probably a single mother, breastfeeding her infant. I see her as an object for my sexual gratification. That's a problem. So I changed the joke. Now it's about my sister, uh, who is gay. And uh, I used to say that my sister is gay. I love her like a brother. But uh, I try really hard to be honest in my work. And I, I don't. I don't like her at all. Uh, but uh, <laughs> she is the mother of a beautiful uh, daughter, uh, mm. now in her 20s, who was deliberately conceived in a loving act between my sister and a turkey baster uh, filled with mail-ordered sperm. Uh, just one of the, the reasons I'll no longer have Thanksgiving dinner at my sister's place. And uh, oh, I... Uh, my sister was fired from a job uh, as a bartender mm-hmm. because they found out that she was breastfeeding her infant in a back room on a break at an establishment that proudly displays posters of the course. Because we oh. live in a bizarre society where it's okay to use breasts to sell beer, but not to feed children. Yeah. Now, I consider that a much better joke than... Can I see a children's menu? It doesn't get as big a laugh in club. And there are comics who will say, if it doesn't get a big as la- a laugh, it's not a better joke. I did that joke in front of David. David Sedaris is a humorist, an author whose work I love and who had me opening for him for a while when it was on the West. Yeah. And I did the story that has that joke in it in front of his audience. And unlike nightclubs, it gets some response, but not the big laugh that I want to suck on tits. Yeah. Um, when I did it in front of David's audience, it got that laugh that rolls to the back of the room and then an applause break that rolled back up toward them. Oh, because wow. when when you find the right audience for the uh when you find the people who are really working in the same frequencies that you're working uh you begin to discover that the energy you create the magic you do becomes increasingly powerful and and we we begin to find our way into the right environments in the right group because if we choose how we use our power, in this case, because I chose to throw away a joke that I recognized a flaw in to replace with a more nuanced joke mm-hmm. that has a more limited audience, I was able to become more authentically who I wish to be and more appealing to the people who are most likely to benefit from what I offer. This is uh, a good uh, good comment from, uh, from Ingwa's um Good storytelling is also about creating contrasts. Invoke the feeling of cold, making it necessary to crave for warmth, all part of a drama. That's nice. The idea of invoking the feeling of cold to make it necessary to crave warmth is really interesting as a storytelling technique. I use, there's a, I, I'm rubbing my fingertips because there's a sensation that I've mentioned in a few different stories because I know what it does to a listener. I have different, uh, when I was a child, I have memory of sitting on a curb by sunlight uh, with my fingertips dragging back and forth over the rough surface of the pavement. And that sensation for me, once I discovered it as a memory trigger, I put it into things. I realized that it is the nature of the friction that allows people to fall into that memory instantly. And when he talks about invoking the feeling of cold, I don't know if Ingwas is a he or a she. Yeah. When when the when the the, the white stork on green talks <laughs> about invoking the feeling of cold, uh, I had never thought about the idea that it causes people to crave warmth. But I do know that once I've made them feel cold, I can make them think anything I want. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you. Because bless you. Ne- 
Thank you. No, yes, it, no. Because at that moment, at that moment, once I made them feel cold, I've taken uh, literary control of their limbic. Yeah, and if that's wow, that goes even even deeper. That's that, yeah, that's it's that powerful. Imagine it is. It is when magic. I slow down mm-hmm. the breath of an. You watch Morris Less Marshall. I close that with a breathing exercise, which is a very mm-hmm. weird thing for a storyteller in comics to do. When I slow people's breath and. Uh, send them into guided essentially guided meditation as a group yeah i am altering their physiology i can feel it from the stage when the front of the audience synchronizes their breath they don't know they're doing but as they're breathing together they all start to fall into the same rhythm they 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 become the single entity that they appear to be to me from the stage that's really cool i i i did watch that that show right before we uh we get on i wanted to have some idea of of what you do of course and that's but that's that's really special if you can quite literally just by not even by asking them but just by telling them like close your eyes breathe deeply and they they do it they have voluntarily given you control over well basically one of their most important motor functions you know breathing it's it's a huge act of trust the breath of life quite literally and you're taking over that control or not even taking it over they're giving you that control just because you told them like hey you can trust me and then i i, I don't i don't betray that trust yeah. um there's no pranking there's no it's i'm really doing the thing look i believe let me start that sentence uh i have come to believe that the things we think about doing we imagine doing the all of all of the things we think about exploring or uh, the things we didn't learn in school that we think might have been interesting to learn, but would be too hard, I guess, we mm-hmm. don't do it for that ring, whatever, is something for which we have an epigenetic predisposition. And that because of the way we are indoctrinated, we are taught, we are treated, and I could give some specifics on this in a minute, those switches get turned off. We develop uh, anxieties, concerns, fears, pathologies, neuroses around the pursuit of those things that interest us. Yeah. And we stop learning. We stop expanding. That which is unknown feels a little scary and we don't want to go explore something unknown. We don't know what it is. It's terrible. I believe humans are designed to keep expanding, to keep learning. And that when we find that relaxed state that I share through the breathing exercise, when mm-hmm. we achieve the child mind, when we return to the state that we were in when we were learning constantly, before we were told that you will continue to do this until you're 18 and then you're a grown up and you stop, we re-initiate uh, the flow of energy through those epigenetic switches. And by continuing to go at something, we can flip them off. Um, I, when I began studying martial arts, I was in my late 20s and believed I was non-athletic. I'd been a non-athletic child. I'm asthmatic. I became a master Mm -hmm. by continuing to do it and returning to this state of openness, even when it created anxiety and fear. Mm -hmm. Uh, My next solo show uh, premiering on June 20th at the Improv in LA at 9.25, at 9.15. My new show has music in it, songs with the guitar. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
as I did the work on it, it, it terrified me to play and sing in public. And I began to do the memory work to discover all these moments when a choir teacher told me just to mouth the words, you're ruining it for everyone. When oh. my mother was frustrated by the sound of me getting a note wrong and shrieked from the kitchen. So it felt as though I was causing her pain. And when I started noodling on the piano and she shouted, stop playing, you're supposed to practice. So even when I was you know, beginning to discover it in my own way, I was doing it wrong. All of these shut me down, right? Yeah. I was still drawn to it. I would sneak into music rooms in high school and college. I played guitar alone. I wrote songs secretly, played mm -hmm. them for friends, for my wife. To do it on stage just filled me with the terror that most people feel when they have to make a speech, right? I would get trembly in the way that I don't when I'm doing. Yeah. But I could tell that I had the epigenetic capacity for it because I'm drawn. And I sought out an instructor in guitar. And I sought out an instructor in voice. And by forcing myself to work past the anxiety, I created a new show that has the music in it, that's going to do new things, that's going to use new tools to change how people think. I suspect the next thing after that show will be mm -hmm. learning some things about financial life and how that works under capitalism and then i think physics right oh, and nice. i don't know what comes after that and all the while i'm studying bardistry and druidism right mm -hmm. because there's no done no you don't get a black belt and then quick training you get a black belt and then start training for the next uh degree or the next style um and it is only not deliberate. It is only uh, indoctrinated belief that we should be something that stops us from continuing to grow and discover and do things. I, um, myself and um, Josh uh, Chalavash for 20, we kind of have developed a, a theory about learning as well, especially in school. They make it um, at, at school. Learning is it's not fun. It's not fun to do. You're just absorbing absorbing information and, you know, the best student in class is the one who can regurgitate that information best. That's basically, that's basically all it is. Whatever you do afterwards, you know, that's, that's up to you as long as you get an A on the test. That's, you I know, know. You're, you're learning for the tech, for the tests, you're learning for the exam. That's really it. Like, who still uses everything they learned in high school who still learned who still uses the things that they they learned in college honestly i've been doing this podcast for a little over a year now i have learned more doing my show doing this podcast talking with so many different people than i have in 18 years of school 18 years of sitting in a bench sitting behind a desk eight hours a day with a 15-minute break and a 30-minute break and just listening to the teacher drone on about things that I really didn't care. Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't know what the public school system is like in the Netherlands. Um, well, I, frankly, I don't know what the public school system is like now in the, Ameri in the United States. My wife teaches in the public school system. I have some idea. Uh, and it has changed since I was in the public school dramatically because because of the anti-intellectualism the deliberate uh uh efforts to demonize uh child of ash yes it's a factory worker prep center our uh public school system was designed to create uh compliant 
uh, reliable workers, yeah, uh, uh, menial isn't, laborers. Isn't that uh, what the uh, the old Rockefeller said? I don't want a nation of thinkers. I want a nation of workers. Yeah, and you know, to some degree, it's interesting. I I think a lot of humans are designed are are really enjoy hard work, physical labor, and uh, there are people who, are, who really enjoy that. Uh, it can be very and, rewarding, definitely. It, uh, yeah, uh, but what we don't have is a system that allows people to find what they enjoy and do it for the reward of doing it. We have a system that encourages people to find whatever position allows them to make the most money without feeling discomfort in their uh, psyche. And I, I don't I don't think that's a good way to accomplish anything important. I'm I'm a big fan of discomfort. It's a really good growing tool, really. I mean, nobody likes discomfort. Nobody wants to to feel discomfort. Nobody wants to to go into that unknown future because you know as you said we don't know what lies beyond it we don't know what's going to happen but we want to know and we want to know before it happens but we don't we can't so therefore we're just that's a lie that's a lie you can know what is coming if you decide what you will be doing and that it's so hard to recognize it's so hard to to get out of the habit we don't know the future i do I know that tomorrow I'm having lunch at Marmalade at one with a friend. I know that piece of the future. Yeah, I know okay. I know that uh, on Sunday I am going to the screening of my film, uh, my first film, at uh, the Marina yeah. Del Rey Film Festival. Awesome. I know that. That's what I'm doing at that time. I know pieces of the future. And the most successful people, those, you know, those, mul- those wealthy people who build companies, mm-hmm. they're not going with the flow. They're making a plan for next week. They're figuring out how their time is being used. They are defining their future instead of awaiting it to find out what it is because they can't see it. That's that. Yeah, it's it's something. I'll uh, you know, as you said, I need I need to get out out of that <laughs> yeah. that habit because I you know I know damn well what my future is gonna be like. Heck, you know, here on uh, on Streamyard on the online studio, I have a whole list of things that are in my future people i will be talking with in the future so so you yeah, do those, know some things about the future and now you get to make this deci- now that you can see that now you get to make decisions what do i want to have in my future how do i move forward toward that huh that's that's really the what did you call that um that magic Calend- practice calendrical magic Calendrical the magic of the calendar magic. the magic of the calendar looking ahead putting dates on things creating a spell of time calendrical magic i i like that i i love that that's that's definitely something with your permission of course that i will uh try and introduce into oh, uh, by all means. into the tribe into the tribe of the rare pagans because i think we can we can learn a lot from that because you know as you said we're always like we can see the future we can plan the future but if you want to accomplish something like the the tip you gave me with my fiance coming over here to europe don't don't be vague don't be like oh in like around that time like somewhere in the summer of you know summer 69 i don't know um then she should be here yeah it's like so you're being very vague and you're saying shoulds as in there is a possibility that she's not yeah it's that's that's something i'm still 
learning it's, she is she's the magic practitioner she's the witch um or the I'm, I'm a heathen so but we learn from each other absolutely i you know it's lovely th- this idea to me that you will adopt that and share it because i don't talk a lot i don't i don't have a lot of people to talk to about the pagan stuff you know <laughs> i talk about the business i talk about the arts i talk about the because this stuff uh i work on in my own journal and i use it to help try to save the world in the small ways that i can. Mm-hmm. and i so rarely really get to discuss the the inner workings of it and the idea that my calendrical magic might start to find take might take root and really start to move forward is, is exciting think about it this way man one of the very first things we know of the ancient pagan is that they understood solstice general people knew that it gets really cold and dark for a long time, but then it it tends to get warm again. And then somebody had the ability to say, no, no, this is when it is at its coldest and darkest. What you should do is you should celebrate with a lot of light just to get through these dark days. I promise you the sun will be reborn. And then, and then, you know, Christianity comes in and says, oh yeah, let's make that the birth of the sun. Well, (laughs) S-O-N-S-F, S-U-N. Yeah, yeah, it's a spelling issue. Yeah. I mean, literally and magically. Um, yeah. yeah, it's. I'm, I'm actually. Um, I am writing a a, a book myself about uh, about all of these things. With the, the main thought being, how do we apply uh, ancient knowledge in this modern world? Um, okay. Let me know if you want coaching or workshops. That's what I do. Oh, I definitely. I uh, I, I would love to. I have your. Uh, your contacts uh contact info now so uh if i have any questions i'll be sure to uh, to contact you it's it's a, a major project and never imagined that i uh i would i i do love writing both my um late brother and my uh my younger sister they um they are script writers or my brother was a script writer my sister still is a script writer she'll actually be uh graduating from the um amsterdam film academy this year actually her movie uh the ticket sales for her graduation movie are um they should be going on sale the 20th so um very very proud of them very and being creative and especially with writing it's something that's uh that really runs in the family it's something we're really uh really good at with um well, Sinterklaas, the like typical Dutch Flemish holiday. It's it's kind of like Dutch Christmas. Um, Santa Claus, Sinterklaas, it's all derived from it. But um, my dad used to, um, or still does, write most of the the letters from Sinterklaas just because he's so good at it, and he'll he'll show off every now and then and just be like, okay, dad. We get it. You're good. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's uh, it's a love we uh, we share. It's a love that has been uh, definitely has been passed down through the, the generation. Yeah, yeah. The the the, gene- the genetic predisposition uh, that can take over in the arts uh, in gymnastics. There's a woman with no legs uh in uh, california she's a uh an aerialist she does silks right she does the gymnastic mm-hmm. silks she flies around it for some uh circus she was born without legs put up for adoption in romania uh adopted into the u.s uh and wanted to do gymnastics so her parents mm-hmm. said uh, okay uh, so this legless girl 
sort of bounces and flips on her hips and does all this stuff and becomes a gymnast and then grows up to become this thing. Her hero is uh, a Romanian gymnast, uh, Olympic gymnast. Turns oh, out, wow. turns out mm-hmm. it's her sister. Her, <laughs> no parents, her parents being gymnastics instructors with a, you know, an incredibly talented daughter is oh. going into the Olympics, have no use for a legless daughter. So they put mm-hmm. her up for adoption. Who can't be the gymnast they're expecting her to be in. in And the genetics are so strong that in a different country, without legs, she is able to say to her adopted parents, I want to do gymnastics. I want to do what that girl does. That's really cool. They wound up becoming friends. Um, But it's really, really I like, that's that's epigenetic predisposition. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's... Well, that's that's another good science to uh, to dive into genetics and but not the science today. behind it. No, 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 not not today. We <laughs> we've been uh, going for uh, well a good a good two hours. Uh, that's what happens when you uh, when you just have a, a good conversation going. Uh, it happens. This is what I realized. I'm autistic. And I have deep dive interest in things. And once someone starts asking me about them, I won't shut <laughs> up. I do this about the martial arts. I do it about <laughs> paganism. I do it about comedy. My special interests just happen to be ones that other people can tolerate me talking about. I'm just going, there are a lot of different kinds of dinosaurs. There are the big brontosaurus ones. And they're the, you know, my, my interest is in <laughs> comedy. Yeah. And, and I... I love hearing those. I love hearing the stories. I love hearing what you know what people have to say. And if I can make a comment about it, if I can go uh, go a little deeper in on it, uh, then it turns into a two plus hour podcast. <laughs> it an absolute joy. You seem like a delightful human. Well, thank you. Um, is there anything that you uh, that you want to plug? Anything that you want to? Active Voice for yourself. Go to Active Voice Productions. Find out what I'm doing at Active Voice Productions. Go to DylanBrody.com. Find out what I'm doing at DylanBrody.com. The new show is called Thinking Aloud, A-L-L-O-W-E-D, world premiere at the Improv on June 20th. And, of course, Lockdown 2020, the feature film, a minor motion picture release from Active Voice Productions starring uh, Kate Orsini, Bonnie Hunt and Toba Felchu. Awesome. Uh, I will make sure to uh, to put that all up in the description. I will have to probably edit the description uh, description box a bit because I I put it all in there and I believe I'm reaching character limit. Um, <laughs> it's it's just so much. Like it's a laundry list of things. Um, Robert Altman. Robert Altman uh, would not have survived the age of Twitter. He never did anything with fewer than 240 characters. <laughs> uh, Twitter, oh, Twitter can be horrible when it comes to that. I uh, luckily that's why uh, there are things like uh, like Substack, for example, where you can just yeah. read entire articles, barely a character limits, uh, or for social media minds, for example, it's kind of Facebook, it's kind of YouTube, it's kind of Twitter. It's like if those platforms had a child, um, like actual free speech, not like Elon Musk. <laughs> speech uh <laughs> then um yeah but so this has been uh this has been absolutely great uh Ch- child of ash uh he is hey 420 in uh in chat to uh to have you join the, 
the main channel uh, that's it is on Telegram, but we are on we are in in can be found in so many places. Um, Send me the info. I will join you. I, you know, I'm studying with the, I don't remember what the organization is called, but I'm studying bardism with the organization of Obads and Druids. And uh, I have no idea what your tribe's main channel is, but I would be delighted to hang out sometime and find out what you're up to. I will put it up in the uh, private chats um, and, you know, plug it for the, for the show as well. The tribe of the Grand Pagans. Uh, nice. You can find everything we do, everything we have on uh, www.greyhornpagans.com. Um, it is our main website. The Greyhorn Pagans podcast is a project of the Greyhorn Pagans. We are doing many more things. Um, Child of Ash has his own substack where he writes about uh, a lot of things. Paganism goes very much into um oh well we mentioned way way early in the, the i podcast. wasn't listening neither was i so <laughs> no but um child of ash has his own Substack. like uh check that out it's uh it's amazing um yeah i that's our main telegram channel where uh most of the conversation is happening that is t.me forward slash uh, forward slash greyhorn pagans not forward slash tripods but we are indeed the tribe of the greyhorn pagans uh this has been a amazing amazing show with my host, with my guest mr dylan brody dylan thank you so much for coming on thank you for um for reacting thank you for for wanting thank to you for having on. me it's a delight to talk to you it's been a blast most definitely and um yeah we'll we'll keep in touch uh i look forward to it man i think i've subscribed to all the sub stacks uh over at uh Greyhorn. okay that's that's awesome. Um, it's, it's it's a good place to start. So the the Substack is a uh, is a good place to start, and we are on so many other platforms doing so many different things as a tribe, as individuals, tribal elders, Jarl, the Fru, you name it, we're doing. So thank you all for listening. Thank you all for watching. Thank you all who were active in the chats. We definitely love all the all the comments we uh, it's always helps progressing the conversation especially if they uh, they are comments um like what ingwa said about invoking the feeling of cold making it necessary to crave for warmth which is so beautifully put so yeah thank <laughs> thank you all uh don't forget to like share subscribe comment um if you're listening to this on spotify on apple podcasts we are now on apple podcasts by the way i finally made it happen which will say unnecessary hassle um google just wherever you find the the, the podcasts give it that sweet sweet five-star rating that every other good podcaster is begging for um i've been stein fox host of of the Grand Pagans podcast, you're all the Grand Pagans with my guest Dylan Brody. Thank you all, and we will see you later. I'll let Child of Ash.